0: It's great to see you this morning. Wasn't Tuesday crazy, the election and everything? That was probably the most wild election I've ever imagined. Of course, I have to say when uh, Gore and Bush and the state of Florida was up in the you know, air and people didn't know what was going to happen with the state of Florida, that was pretty exciting to see what was going to happen there. I actually, I felt an excitement watching it. And the people that know me the closest know that I'm sort of like a middle-of-the-road type of guy. I don't put a lot of trust in Democrats or Republicans. I I try to put my trust in God. I don't really think politics are the answer to the world's problems. I think the church is the answer. I think changing lives and hearts are the answer. It's not that I don't think that politics have no importance. There is importance. But like I've said before, you can put down the best rules, the best laws, but if people take bribes, if people do this and that, the laws don't matter. So the only thing that matters is you change the hearts of the people in the, in the society, and then you, you can have a good government. But good government doesn't make society good, if you understand what I'm saying. But it was an exciting thing. If you watch it, like, from a sporting point of view, you know, you have one uh, guy winning, and then, boom, she bops up ahead and a lot of back and forth. And that's how I experienced it, being someone that's not strong on either side I'm just kind of watching it from that point of view, like, oh, wow, who's going to win? I wonder what's going to happen here. I find it interesting how politics work. You have one person that's saying that somebody's a crook, and once the election's over, she's now great. You know? You have another guy that's a racist, but now that the election's over, he's okay now. You know, he's not racist anymore, because Obama and Clinton, they're fine with that part. But that's politics, because what happens is Politics will use whatever they can to get themselves voted. And they're going to make the other person look as bad as possible in order to get themselves uh, voted in. My family's very interesting. I've got one brother on the far right. I've got one brother on the far left, and then I've got a lot of people in between going, I have one person in my family that you never know which way they're going to go. They're more in the middle. But even in my own family, and to hear their responses about things it's it's very interesting to see that when you look at people's faith you know you have people that love god and they're praying that if clinton wins this is going to be the best thing for the country there's people that love god and they're praying if trump wins this is going to be the best thing for the country people that love god but they're on different sides so the love of god and love for fellow man can you can still vote differently because for whatever reason you think well This is bad for society. This would be the good thing that would happen if this one's elected, and I can overlook that bad because this is more important. Or this would be the good thing if the other person's elected, and I can overlook that bad because this is more important. And two people can be walking with God and have a different view of what's more important in an election like that. So that's interesting for me to see that stuff. But every election year, we get a new president, The key thing that the Bible teaches us is to pray for the leader. Why would we pray for the leader? That person's going to make decisions that are going to either benefit us or we're going to pay the price. Right? So pray, pray, pray. If the leader that we have ends up not being good, the great thing is we have elections every four years. If he ends up not being good, people can vote him out. If he ends up doing a really good job and stuff, then what would you see? And that's the greatest thing is it's not like we have a new king. Can you imagine the old days? We have a new king. You're stuck with the guy till he's dead. (laughs) That's what it was like. And sometimes that meant 80 years or 60 years of misery, not four. I'm not trying to insinuate that Trump's going to be miserable for four years or good. What I'm trying to say is, praise God we live in America And praise God that we have a God that we can pray to and trust in, even to influence that man in power. I've been praying for Obama for the last eight years. I'm going to keep praying for him as our leader until whatever that date is, January 20th or whatever that date is that they switch it over. I'm going to keep praying for him. But I'm going to be praying for Trump. I hope and pray that he makes good decisions for us. But that's what you have to do. It was an odd election because there were so many bad things that they could say about each other like I've never seen in previous elections. But that's why I trust in God, because you just don't know what man's going to do. Sometimes a guy gets voted in or a woman gets voted in, and on paper it looks like they're going to be great, but they don't always follow through with what they say. Sometimes it looks like they're bad, and then they end up doing good things. You just never know. You just pray that God influences him. Pray that God influences him. But not just praying for him. Pray for the Congress. Pray for the Senate. I believe there's power in prayer. But I do believe some Christians are more interested in bashing somebody than praying for them. I think it should be the opposite around. We should, as Christians, be more into praying for our leaders. But yet, you still need to speak up if what they're doing is wrong. I'm not saying be a silent church. I don't, I don't believe that. So, If someone does something wrong, if they, if they do something wrong, we need to speak up. And we need to say that's wrong. We, we need to be vocal. But we should be known as Christians more for our prayers for leaders, not for our criticism of leaders. But I've heard a lot of Christians, known Christians with a very critical mouth toward leadership in America on a regular basis on both sides. And I'm thinking... That's the exact opposite message that we want to get out as Christians. We want to get out that we care, that we're praying, that we're influencing. But you do have to speak up. You, you know, you do have to speak up when things are wrong. Every election year, we begin the next Sunday with a prayer for the person that got elected. So I'm going to take a minute and pray for Donald Trump. Dear God, we know this country's in your hands, and our, our faith and our trust is in you. It's never been in a politician. But we know that Donald Trump has been elected. We're praying that you guide him. We're praying that you lead him. We're praying that you give him wisdom. We're praying that you get the right people around him that can influence him in the way that he needs to go. I'm praying that Christians will continue to pray for him on a regular basis. And Lord, I pray that Christians will influence him on a regular basis as well. And I pray that he'll have an open mind to work with people to Do good things. We want good things to happen. Lord, we lift them up to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So, if I was the type of person, by the way, that put my faith in politicians, I'd be stressed out about so many things because politics can really, really stress you out. When you put your faith in God, it really does, it's just different. And like I said, it's not that those things don't matter. It does matter who gets elected. But in comparison to my faith in God being in control, in that comparison, it matters so little when I compare that. So I don't let those things uh, rock my boat that much. I'm concerned about it, but I don't let it rock my boat. We're talking about how can we hear God speak to us today. We're in this series on questions, questions I've wanted to ask God. Maybe that's a question you'd want to ask God, like, how can I hear God speak to me? Maybe the question is, does God speak to people? Do people actually hear God speak to them? I've heard people say, the Lord has said, or the Lord told me. When I hear that, I'm cautious about that. When someone starts saying, the Lord told me this, the Lord told me that, I don't know. I don't know. But at the same time, you read Scripture and the Lord does speak to people. The Lord does speak to people. Now, there's a guaranteed way. If you say, I want to know without a doubt that God spoke to me, read the Bible. Every word you're reading, God is speaking to you. So if someone says, God never speaks to me, I say, when's the last time you read the Bible? Every word out of that Bible was God speaking to you. So we have the ability to have God speak to us nonstop. You know, if we, if we read the Bible nonstop. So does God speak to you? Absolutely. But... But I'm going to talk about that other aspect of God speaking to you, where you're praying and you feel like God's influencing you. You know, does He do that? Does God really speak to me, or is it something in my own mind that I'm just making up? One thing for sure, I do believe God speaks to you. I think it's clear in Scripture. Uh, One thing for sure, you can buy the best radio in the whole world, but if you don't tune it into the channel that you want to hear, it's useless, Right? I bought a radio. You just plug it in and turn it on, and it's not on any station. It's on one of those, and you just hear a shh. And then you say, what's, what's wrong with my radio? It must be a bad radio. And, and the truth is, you take it in, and he says, the radio is good, but here's the tuner knob. You've got to get it on the right station you want to listen to. Sometimes we're like that. We're just not tuned into God. So how do I get tuned into God? In Luke 8... Verse 8, the second half of that verse, it says, When Jesus said this, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Jesus said these type of things. If you have ears to hear, listen. A lot of times, we're just not listening. We're not putting on our spiritual ears and listening to God. And there's some things that we can do to do that. Jesus explains this well in Luke chapter 8, verses 4 through 8. And it's a story of a farmer planting seeds. And here's what he says. While a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable. A farmer went out to sow seed. As he scattered his seed, some fell along the path, and it was trampled on, and the birds of the air ate it up. Some fell on the rock. When it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Others fell among the thorns, which grew up with it, and choked the plants. Still others fell on good soil and came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than what was sown. When he said this, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. He said, listen to this. If you have ears, spiritual ears, listen to what I'm saying. God is a farmer in the story. The seed is God's word going out. The soil is us. And sometimes... I don't think you're permanently in any one of these states. I think you have the wrong mindset if you're saying, "I'm always the good soil. I always receive God's word." It's not like it's not talking about four different types of people. It's really talking about four heart attitudes, and you know your heart attitude can change. There can be sometimes the word of God is like landing on the hard path, and birds just take it away. You just don't pay attention. Have, haven't you? Have you been guilty of doing that before? I have. You hear the word of God and you don't pay attention to it, and later on you find out that you should have. It's not that you didn't hear it; you just chose not to pay attention to it. Haven't you ever been the person that you get the word of God, but you're so busy with life that the weed, life is a weed, you know the weeds choke it out. Life just chokes it out, and you're so busy that you don't have time to really re- receive the word of God. I, I'm guilty of doing that sometimes. I think we all are. Aren't you sometimes this person with, that you receive the word of God and your heart attitude is good soil. And you actually listen and take it in and start doing, you know, what it says. Sometimes, haven't you heard the word of God and you get excited about it? Something you heard, but when hard times come, you say, oh, oh, I I didn't expect it to be so hard. And then you quit. We're, We're, each one of us, we're all for these responses because our heart isn't always receptive to God. As a Christian, Sometimes your heart's very receptive to God, but sometimes it's not. It's not even about being an unbeliever or not. We are all over the place when it comes to the attitude of our heart. So, how do you hear God speak to you? Number one in your notes, you have to cultivate an open heart. I have to open up my heart to God. I have to desire it. I have to be teachable. I have to be receptive. I have to be eager. I have to be ready to learn. Many people don't hear God speak, because their mind is just closed off. You know, God wants to speak to you, but you have a closed mind, maybe in the subject that he wants to talk to you about. You know, it's one of those things like, don't you think that maybe you should maybe start working on forgiving your brother, and you say, oh, don't go there. No, 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 don't you go there. You know how sometimes we can be like that with a certain issue, whatever it is? What does that mean? I have a closed mind. Sometimes we just have a closed mind at what God wants to speak to us. And we're not willing to go there. No, no, no. I'll talk about other things. But not that, not that there. Sometimes our hearts are just hardened. Look at Luke 8, 5 there. Some seed fell along the path. It was trampled on. The birds of the air ate it up. When you go down to verse 12. It gives the explanation of that. Those along the path are the ones who hear. And then the devil comes along. And takes away the word. From their hearts. So they cannot believe and be saved. They hear it, but it's on the hard ground. It's like the birds come and just eat the seed and take it away. The word of God comes and the devil just takes it away. Why? Because they have a hard heart. Just like the land, the soil. There's places in the soil between the furrows where the people walk. Okay? And so you have all these walking paths the people walk in between the crops, that are hard because it's trampled. And that describes our heart. And what it's saying is the Word of God can't get into you, and you're not going to hear from God if you have a hard heart. You need to soften your heart. You need to soften your heart toward God. You need to soften your heart toward other people. A lot of people don't hear from God because they have a hard heart toward God. A lot of people don't hear from God because they have a hard heart toward people. Both of th- those things are going to prevent you from having a sensitive heart to hear from God. And you know it just says the hardened path, you can fill this in, is a defensive heart. We have a defensive heart. What causes us to be so defensive? There's three causes. One is fear. Fear can make us defensive. What are we afraid of? I'm afraid that, of what God might say. Like... If I really soften my heart to God, what if he asks me to do something I don't want to do? What if he wants to change something in my lifestyle I don't want to give up? What if he wants me to make restitution to somebody that I don't want to forgive? He might make me do something I don't want to do. That's a fear. And you know what? He, I promise you... He will make you do things that you don't want to do. It's a guarantee. The fear is legitimate. If you have something in your lifestyle that needs to change, I guarantee you if you soften your heart to God, he's going to say, okay, now one of the things we have to do is we have to change this thing in your lifestyle. You know, If you have a bad attitude that needs to change and you soften your heart to God, I guarantee you one of the things he's going to say is, one of these things we have to do is we've got to start working on this bad attitude that you have. So, the fear is legitimate because he is going to want to change you. So, we get defensive. But I think the thing is, we don't understand that he really has our best interest in mind. Is he really going to work for what's best for us? You know, God loves you. God wants to change our lives for the best. It's going to be best for you, it's going to be best for your family. It's going to be best for your friends. It's going to be the best thing that you could ever do. Number two, pride. Pride causes us to be defensive. Maybe I don't think I need God's advice. I'm my own boss. I don't need God. You know, I'm doing fine without Him. Pride can give you that hard heart where you don't listen to God, where you're not open to Him where you don't have a sensitive heart toward the Lord. Pride can be a smoke screen for insecurity. You know, like, have you ever met people? I see this with boys a lot, where they try to act like they're tough. Why do they do that? Because they feel insecure, right? Isn't that what does that? You have to put on this front like I'm a tough guy because you're afraid. Because the toughest guys I've ever seen (laughs) don't have to act tough, (laughs) It was kind of funny. When I wrestled in college, we had this guy on our team. And he was like, do you know how they talk about Superman being the mild-mannered type of guy? This guy, he was unbelievable. But he didn't look, he wasn't even physically like, you know, he was in great condition. But he wasn't buff and all that type of stuff. And he wore these glasses. And he would be uh, warming up. And um, before his match, he was one of these guys that he'd take his glasses off. He was very meticulous. and, And he just looked like. He just looked like someone that you would never feel like would be a problem in some sort of altercation. And then he'd go out in that wrestling match, and he wrestled these guys that were buff, that, that looked like they belonged in the NCAA wrestling, you know. but he didn't look that way. And he would toss them, and he, he just had all kinds of throws, and this and that. I mean, like really manly stuff against guys that looked like animals. And I would sit him, there watching him just dumbfounded that how can this guy look so nerdy <laughs> and just cream people over and over and over again? You know what? He didn't act like a tough guy, but I'm telling you, he was the toughest guy at Tennessee Tech University and probably most any other university around. I mean, he was a, but you looked at him and you, you would just never know. Because when you don't, when you're secure, you don't have to put it on the front. He was secure of who he was. He was comfortable with it, and he never acted like, put on a front to have to, you know, show that he's something. Pride is sometimes a sign of insecurity. I'm insecure, so I have to put on this front. A third thing is bitterness. Bitterness can cause you to have a hard heart, of course. We're hurt by something that somebody said to us or something that somebody did to us. And legitimately so, legitimately so, people are going to hurt you. And they're going to hurt you on purpose. And sometimes it's going to be bad. Shame on them. But shame on me if I become bitter, cynical, callous, and hardened. Because I can learn to forgive and let it go. But you can't forgive and let it go if you have a hardened heart. A hardened heart is going to make you resist. It's going to make you hang on to that anger. It's going to make you hang on to that bitterness. Shame on them for what they did to you. Shame on you now for what you're doing to yourself. When you forgive, you don't get them off the hook. It gets you off the hook. You're saying that they no longer have control over my life. They try to ruin me, but but they can't. I'm still going to be the person I want to be in spite of what they did to me. It doesn't mean they didn't do anything. You forgive and let it go. It doesn't mean that they shouldn't have consequences. But by hanging on to bitterness, it doesn't harm them. It just harms you. Bitterness hardens your heart. When I've shared my faith with people, the people that have resisted the things I've said the most are people that have been hurt by the church. You know what I mean? By Christians or by the church. Somehow they were involved. I don't mean this church, but I mean by the church. Somehow they had church experience where they got really, really hurt. And then it made them so that they have a negative feeling toward Christianity or toward God and that type of stuff. And my thinking is like this. Because Christians are human. We, don't, we shouldn't hurt people, but it happens because we're, we're flawed. You know, we all sin. We all mess up still. But my point is this. If, a, if you got hurt by something that a church did or something by, that Christians did, don't let that hinder your relationship with God. It might hinder your relationship with them. You might say, these people hurt me. This isn't right. And go to another church, right? Let me tell you what it's like. I went to McDonald's, and that manager was rude to me when he, took, when he gave me the order. He hurt me. So, I'm never going to go to a restaurant again. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'm never going to a restaurant again. That's ridiculous. Just because the manager at McDonald's hurt your feelings, does that mean that you shouldn't go down to Mama D's and eat there? Or you know what I'm saying? And just because the people hurt you at McDonald's, does that mean that you shouldn't eat at the McDonald's down the street somewhere else? (laughs) Right? But that's how ridiculous it is. They hurt me at this church, so I'm never going to church again. Well, people are going to hurt you. It's a part of life. You're going to get hurt. But don't let it stop you and your relationship with God, what they do will sometimes cause you to discontinue your relationship with others. Forgiveness doesn't mean the relationship is restored. Do you understand? Forgiveness doesn't always mean the relationship is restored. There was a person here that was visiting this church years ago and coming to this church years ago, but this person started, he was like 30-something, he started getting the phone numbers of the 16, 15-year-old girls in the church. I was talking to them, and it sounded like he was trying to build a relationship with them. We were uncomfortable with this. We put him aside. We talked to him, and, we, and the parents were already involved with what was going on. It got to me, and, and you know what? I, I totally forgave him for what he did. I addressed it, and I told him he wasn't welcome at the church anymore. You understand what I did? Did I forgive him 100%? Yeah, you know, He didn't act on anything, but it, it was looking too suspicious to us. Gave him 100%, didn't let him come back to the church anymore. Wow, how evil not to let somebody come to church. No, there's other churches out there that he can go to if he wants to. But I wasn't, I wasn't going to take the chance of this guy doing anything because I said I forgave him. I didn't say I trust him. There's a big difference. Between saying I forgive somebody and I trust somebody. There's a big difference between saying I forgive somebody and the relationship is restored. Sometimes you forgive and the relationship is restored. Why? Because you trust them. Sometimes you forgive but the relationship's not restored because you don't trust them. There's a big difference. So we have to forgive so we can go on in our own life. Bitter spirit is just a hardened heart that's going to harm you. Jesus said the birds came along and ate the seed. What does this mean? The defensive lifestyle is for the birds. You don't want it. That's for the birds. In James 1.21, it says, Get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Just let go of all that stuff. Number two in your notes, allocate time to listen. Schedule time to listen. When I talk about time with God, I think you spend time praying. You read your Bible. But sometimes you just need a quiet time and just listen. Talk about things and just have some time to listen and ponder and think. And I think sometimes God speaks to you. He inspires you. You get some sort of inspiration. And I think a lot of times that's from God. If you're reading something about taking care of the poor... And that's what you read in the Bible that week or that day. And then you stop and you start thinking about it, and pondering it. And then you get inspired to say, hey, I want to go do this and this and this. If it's a good thing, go do it. It's probably God that inspired you, you know. You read the Bible, you thought about it, you prayed about it, you just kind of listened. And you get some inspiration. I think that's how God speaks to people. If he inspires you to do something good, go tr- do it. What's the worst that can happen? You attempt to do something good and nothing really happens out of it. Right? But if you feel inspired to do something and you don't at least try, well, that's guaranteed failure, right? Not trying to do something good is guaranteed failure. And you say, well, I'm not 100% sure if God wants me to do this. Then you say, all you have to say is, is it a good thing? They say, oh, yeah, it's a good thing. Then do it. You know, do it. You know, I have a friend, and he's, you know, hurting. I'm not 100% sure that God wants me to go and console him. (laughs) Uh -uh. Is it a good thing? Just do it. You know, God wants you to do those things. So if you get inspired to do something good, I think that's a way that God speaks to you. But you have to allocate time to listen. What happens is we get so busy that we don't have time to listen. Mary... Jesus' mom, uh, why did God speak to her? Well, it's because I think she listened. It says Mary pondered these things in her heart. She was thoughtful about it. She took it serious. She She really took it in what God was saying. Look at Luke 8, 6. Other seed fell on the shallow soil with rock beneath. This seed began to grow, but soon it withered and died for lack of moisture. Then he gives the explanation of what this is. Those on the rock are the ones who received the word with joy when they heard it, but they have no root because the rock is there, so it can't get rooted in. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. Israel has lots of areas where they have that uh, limestone bedrock, um, so if you try to farm in any of those areas or close to those areas, any seed that falls there, it will start to sprout. But it won't last long because when the heat comes, when the sun comes up, it's going to burn it up and it's going to die. That's one of the ways that you can tell if you've got a heart open to God is when the heat comes, do you wither? Or if you're rooted in God's word, do you hang in there? The shallow soil represents a superficial heart. Sometimes our hearts are superficial. You're impulsive. You get excited about something, but you never let it sink in. There's a lot of times that people come to church, for example, and they'll be thrilled and they'll have this great experience. It was, wow. But maybe there's the mindset like, wow, I want God in my life. Now my life is going to be great. <laughs> Doesn't work that way, right? When you encounter God, sometimes your life is getting better, but in other ways it can be getting worse. There are some times that you make a positive change in your life. And other people don't like it. Other people don't like it. It's kind of like, now and then, when I was in college, I'd be invited to parties, and there was a lot of drinking. But I never drank, okay? But I wasn't judging the people. They'd invite me to the party, and I'd go, and I would drink a Sprite. And everybody liked me until they found out that I was drinking a Sprite, and they were all drinking. And all of a sudden, they got uncomfortable. And they start saying, hey, have something to drink. No, 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 I I don't want to drink. And then some of them knew I was a Christian. And then they say, yeah, you know, I, I probably shouldn't be drinking. You know, I don't know. And they start confessing their sins to me. I became the local priest, you know. <laughs> and, uh, and I never said anything like, I don't drink because of uh, I, it's a sin. or I, I wasn't saying anything like that. I was just drinking Sprite, you know. It, and it was against the law because you're supposed to be 21 years old. None of these guys were. But they felt uncomfortable with me. And it didn't take long before I was never invited to parties anymore. (laughs) But it wasn't because I was rude to them. It wasn't because I was mean to them. It was because when they're all drinking, really, to get drunk, and you're not, the dynamics it made it very uncomfortable for them for whatever reason, I don't know. So sometimes when you make a decision to do the right thing, you lose friends. You lose friends. If you're used to going out and drinking, for example, and your friends drink and you've got a drinking problem, and then you decide I've got to get I'm going to quit drinking. Uh, they still might care about you, but they're going to quit inviting you to the parties, <laughs> and you end up losing friends because of a lifestyle change that you made. And it and it can be hurtful. Losing friends is hurtful because. Uh, but it, what I'm trying to say is it's just what happens in life. Sometimes people are excited and they're happy, but when they have to go through a loss because of their commitment to Christ. They say, oh, okay. Why would they back out? Because they're not transformed. You know, they've had a taste of it, but they haven't really given their life to it. Do you know that you you forget 95% of what you hear in 72 hours? This is one of the reasons why we have our notes. There's two reasons to have the notes is when you hear it, when you see it, and when you write it, you're more apt to remember it, and when you can take it home. And look at it later. You, you know, it helps you in those ways. So we try to do things to make that 95% less so that you have a higher chance of remembering it instead of forgetting 95% of what you heard in three days. So what happens is sometimes we just forget. We just forget. If you're not reading the Bible on a regular basis and allocating time to God with God, you forget things. Have you ever read through the whole Bible? And you said, wow, I read the Bible. That was really good. And then you read through it the second time, and you see all these things in there that you didn't see the first time. I don't remember that. I don't remember that. Is that interesting? Why? Because we forget. We don't remember everything. It's so amazing. I've probably read through the whole Bible probably from cover to cover 15, 16 times, something like that. And... Every time I read through the whole Bible, I still see things like, oh, I don't remember that. Sixteen times, by now, I should remember it all, right? And I remember way more. But why is that? We just don't always remember things. How much more are you not going to remember God's Word if you're not reading the Bible? If you only hear it on Sunday morning? You, you just, so you have to allocate time for God to speak to you. Alfalfa, it's a successful crop because its roots go down 20 to 30 feet. So When the heat comes, it's still getting moisture, no matter how hot it is. So alfalfa can really last through a lot of droughts and stuff like that. It's a really good crop for stuff like that because its roots roots are deep. What I want to have is I want to have deep roots. So when the heat comes, when the difficulties come, I can last through it. I don't lose my faith because I'm going through a hard time. Have you ever gone through a hard time and then you start losing your faith because... There's really a God. Why is he allowing this to happen? That's because the roots are shallow. The deeper the roots are, the stronger you're going to be. Number three, eliminate the distractions. If you want to hear God, there's some things you're going to have to cut out of your life. There are things that are going to distract you from God. And you can be so busy with your mind, crowded with all kinds of thoughts and plans and ideas and goals and activities that you don't have any room left. For God. You're going, 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 going. In Luke 8, 7, it says, Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. And then the explanation is verse 14. The seed that fell among the thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they're choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they don't mature. He's talking about seed that gets into the ground, but it's with the weeds, and the weeds choke it out. And we have weeds in our life that can choke out God's word from our life. For your notes, a soil with weeds, that's a preoccupied heart. You're so preoccupied with other things, you don't give God time so you can't hear him. You can't hear him. You don't have time for him. God wants you to bear fruit. In Galatians uh, 5, 22 and 23, it says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, and self-control. God wants you to be like Jesus, filled with love, joy, peace. But a lot of times we're not. A lot of times we don't have that fruit in our life. And it's because we're so busy running here and running there and doing this and doing that. And it's hard. When you're married, that takes an extra amount of time. When you have kids, that takes even more time. And then you're working full time. All of that adds on where it becomes difficult for us to have time with God. And then you're taking kids to sporting events and this and that. And you get to the point where you say, when do I have time for God? We can get so busy, we don't have time to hear from Him. We've got so much going on. He could be screaming at us and we don't hear Him. We have to be aware that if we want to hear from God, we can't be preoccupied. We can't have everything else going on so much that we just don't have time to hear. There's been times in my life that I've allowed this to happen, and it's like you lose that connection with God, and I'm taking a shower, and I start thinking about this and that, like God starts, I feel like God's kind of inspiring me, and I thought, why is that? Because that's the only time I stopped doing anything, you know what I mean? I'm in the shower, I'm not thinking about I have to do this, I have to take the kids over here, I've got to do that. When the only time you feel like you get some inspiration is when you're in the shower, you're too busy. (laughs) You're too busy if that's the only time that you feel like you hear from God. You want to have time to relax and uh, spend time with God. But we have demands, you know, for our voice, for our attention, for our focus. And those demands are going to keep coming and keep coming. And if you get so spread out, it's like in the old days, if you try to call people on a holiday... Everybody's calling at the same time. And you call and you get a recording. All circuits are busy at this time. Please try again later. Do you remember that when you call on the holidays, trying to call mom or something on the holidays? So I think God is trying to speak to us, and God's getting a message. You know, He's trying to talk to me, and and God gets a message. All of Jimmy's circuits are busy right now. You have to call him back later. Because I get going and going, or you get going and going so much that you don't have time for God. You don't even give him a chance because you're too busy. What are the kinds of weeds that we have in our life. One is life worries. Just the problems and the pressures of life. The other one is riches. Paying bills and the budgets and investments and your job and trying to make a buck. Trying to get money for the family for good things even, but it can add up to so much time that you don't have time for God. Pleasures. They can be good things. A hobby is good unless it's Unless you're so busy that you don't have time for God. A recreation is good. Unless you get so busy you don't have time for God. This is about getting the balance in your life. Matthew 6.23 says, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these other things will be added unto you. God wants to be first in your schedule. But if you get so busy, you, you won't hear Him. You won't have time to hear Him. A fourth one is cooperate with what God says God speaks to the person who has predetermined in advance, "I'm going to do God, whatever God wants me to do." even before, I know what it is. It's not like God says, "I'm going to tell you what I want you to do, and then you decide whether or not you're going to do it." No. If you don't want to hear from God, then have that attitude. If you want to hear from God, have the attitude of, "God, whatever you tell me, I'm going to do it. I'm going to obey you no matter what it is." In Luke 8:15, it says, "The seed. On good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering produce a crop. In your notes, the good soil, the answer is a responsive heart. Lord, I'm willing to do whatever it is. I have that attitude that I'm in God. You know, I'm willing no matter what it is. And here's the result in your notes you bear fruit, you produce a crop. Uh, You see the difference in your life. In James 1.22, it says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Don't think that you're going to go to God and say, I'm here to listen, if you're not planning to do it. Why would he speak? Why would he speak if you have the attitude of, God, I'm going to listen, but it doesn't mean I'm going to do it. No, the whole point is you listen to God so that you can do what he says. Jesus explains these four hearts. We sometimes find us in all four categories. We do. We can be all over the place. Maybe if God were to do a heart check on you right now, maybe you have a defensive heart. Maybe you're thinking, I've got things in my heart that are defensive. Maybe you don't want to listen to him because you're afraid he'll make you a fanatic or he he wants me to change something in my life that I don't want to change. But I'm defensive toward it. I'm not really willing to allow him to speak to me. Maybe that's you right now, and God needs to soften your heart. You know how God softens heart, uh, soil when the soil is hard? He brings the rain, and if that doesn't work, then he brings a storm, and if that doesn't work, he brings a flood. Maybe the storm that you're in right now in your life is because you need to soften your heart. Maybe there's a storm going on in your life, and he's trying to soften your heart in that area that you're just resisting on. The second thing is maybe you have a superficial heart right now. Like you're you're not going deep with God. You're just at that surface level. You know, your commitment to the Lord is shallow. And when the heat comes, you feel like, oh, I'm just throwing the towel. Oh, I knew that would never work. There's no real deep commitment that says, I'm in here forever, no matter what it takes. I'm sticking with this. Maybe that's what you're going through right now. And you need to make a commitment. God, I've got some resolve in me. I'm not giving up. Whatever it is that you want to give up, that you know you shouldn't, and you say, "God, I'm not giving up." But maybe that's where it is. You just haven't had the depth. Maybe your heart's been superficial. Maybe if God did an X-ray on your spiritual X-ray X-ray on your heart right now, you would say, "My problem right now is I'm preoccupied. I've got so much going on with work and with my family and with my kids and with my wife and with this hobby I have, this and that." I probably haven't sat home and read the Bible and prayed for months because you're just preoccupied, doing good things. Usually, this isn't the type of crowd that's out there doing evil, wicked things. I don't have time for God because I'm out there doing something wicked. I'm robbing banks. I just don't have time for God. You know, that's not what we're doing. People here, we're doing good things, and that's why it's so deceptive because when you're doing good things, you don't have the sense of conviction in your life, But if you're doing good things, but you don't have time for God, is this true? Could you be married and be out there doing so many good things that you don't have time for your wife and then your marriage starts to fall apart? You're married, you're doing so many good things, but you don't have time for your husband and your marriage starts to fall apart. But you're saying, all I'm doing is good things. But why would that happen? Because you're leaving out the best thing, right? Isn't it more important for the marriage? Isn't that a higher priority? So you've got to make some changes. That's how it is with God. Maybe that's you, and that's the change you need to make, and you're going to say, okay, I'm serious about God. I'm I'm, I'm going to make the changes. I'm going to make sure I have time with God to hear from God. He will speak to me if I give him time. You know, the church, this congregation here, we have a lot of potential. We have a lot of potential to do amazing things. But the only way that God really does that is when we reach that point where we're the good soil, and we're saying, hey, God, whatever you want me to do, I'm going to do it. God, whatever you want me to do, I'm going to do it. Can you imagine, because we average probably about 100 adults that are, I would say, committed to this church. Could you imagine if we had 100 adults in the South Bay saying, God, I'm going to do whatever you want me to do. Wow. Wow. Uh, just 100. Remember, there was 11 people that once said that to Jesus, and <laughs> changed the world. 11. What would happen if a hundred of us said, I'm going to do whatever you want me to do, God? God wants to do great things in our life, but we have to have that willingness to say, God, whatever it is, I'll do it. Let's pray. Dear God, help us to cultivate an open heart. Help us to see what you see in us. Help us to allocate time to listen and to have a daily quiet time with you. Lord, help us to develop deep roots that keep us committed God, we want to give 100%. We want to be 100% in. We want to eliminate the distractions. We want to cooperate with you. Whatever it is that you want us to do, God, we want to be available and committed to do it. And Lord, we thank you for the good that you want to do in our life. And we want to be 100 people that are willing to do whatever you want us to do so that the world can be a better place. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.